Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around Him, and the impact He empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, it's a thrill and a joy to, for me to introduce Evan and Jordan to you. Evan, would you stand? Give them a round of applause. Evan is a worship leader, and he's a key part of Blue Water Mission, uh, the church that Jordan and his wife, Sonia, lead. Uh, and now I want to introduce Jordan to you. Jordan Sang, he has been speaking at our conference all weekend. He has been imparting uh, some pretty amazing things to us. Uh, Jordan has, uh, Blue Water Mission isn't a vineyard church, uh, but Jordan has a rich history in the vineyard. He's planted vineyard churches and led vineyard churches, been part of vineyard churches. Um, so he's, he's become a dear friend, and we are so thrilled that he is going to come and speak this morning. And you know, if you've been around at all, you know we're in this big marathon sermon series just beginning on courage, and Jordan is going to speak on an aspect of that this morning. So Jordan, would you please come? Aloha. Aloha. You're not saying it right. <laughs> Those who are at the conference, let's do this correctly. Aloha. Aloha. What's the other word? Two. Now I'm starting to feel it. Uh, I pastor a church in a Polynesian setting. Polynesians are not quiet people. They are not shy people. You have to give me some emotional support uh, because I'm a very uh, shy person. So, one more chihu. Nice to be here with you. Um, wonderful to be at the conference. Really appreciate uh, everything that I'm seeing in this movement and, uh, and love what I'm seeing of, of this particular family so far. Uh, God bless everything that you're doing. Um, we have a, a tradition in the Hawaiian Islands called talk story, uh, or if you're meeting somebody for the first time, uh, it's a it's an involved process, you know, you just don't say hello, how to meet you, you have to, you have to share life uh, a little bit, and uh, one of the ways that Hawaiians do that is that they talk story, they swap stories, uh, because um, the best way for you to get to know me is uh, for me to tell you a few stories uh, about my ohana, about my family, and the best way for, for me to meet you is for you to tell a few characteristic stories from your ohana, your family, um, so, uh, so I'll do that at the beginning, a couple stories. Uh, one of my favorite stories, I already told this at some point this weekend, one of my favorite stories of Blue Water uh, recently, this, uh, this young man um, who uh, <clears throat> got, it, got into a, a difficult situation uh, in life. Uh, he was uh, kind of burning out uh, in, in his job, and about that time he developed some severe symptoms of mental illness, very severe. Uh, it ran in his family. Uh, he was rather savagely uh, bipolar, delusional, um, and, and couldn't control that. Went on medication, which made him very, very sick. Lots of trouble, lost a job, uh, couldn't really uh, walk the normal life anymore. Uh, was, was not a believer, but sort of began reaching out spiritually and ended up somehow at an ashram, a, a Buddhist meditation center in India. That's where he went to try and 
just find something spiritual. And it was a silent meditation retreat. So he just meditated all day, every day, uh, for, for 10 days, as just sort of a, just hoping, right? Just hoping that he would he'd find something else in life and something that would be helpful. He was meditating one day, and he said he felt a presence come into the room, that it fell upon him, and he described it to me as just being bathed in liquid love. Tremendous presence of love. He had no idea uh, what was going on, uh, but it felt uh, amazing. And so he said, you know, uh, in his meditation, silently he reached out in, in what he would call prayer and said, uh, who is this? Who is this? Is this uh, a Hindu god? Is this Buddha? Is this the God of the Christians? And he said when he said that, he was just hit with a bolt of power. And he said he felt his mental illness peel off of his scalp as if it were physical. And the delusions completely left him from that day forward. He had quit his medication and he's totally healed. Wow. <clears throat> so if, if, you're, if you're following, uh, this guy met Jesus at a Buddhist retreat center in India. All right. Without anybody witnessing to him or, or anything. Came back to the States and had to start figuring out how he was going to live uh, this, this, this life with this, this new God that, that he had discovered. Somehow got a hold of uh, some of our sermons online. We post our sermons online, our teaching. He was living uh, on the east coast of the United States, 5,000 miles away from my church in the middle of the Pacific. Uh, but heard some of our sermons, ended up moving 5,000 miles to become part of our church and has uh, arrived uh, and uh, is assuming a, a ministry position as a chaplain to the, the homeless population uh, in Hawaii. We have a very high percentage of homeless in Hawaii, uh, homeless encampments on the beach of up to 5,000 people. Um, and, uh, and he's just ministering there because a very high percentage of that population is mentally ill and he wants to bring them freedom and deliverance in the manner in which he has experienced. Good story? Yeah. That's some talk story right there, people. That's what that is. What do you think? No, what do you think? Okay, you're a little slow. You're a little slow, but gotta get it. Uh, here's, here's another story that is in some way more characteristic of our church. Uh, happened a while back, we were doing a uh, a baptism celebration, baptism service. You guys do baptisms, right? You dump people in water. We do baptisms on the beach. I'm just, yeah, except, uh, except after the baptism, we go surfing. Anyone? Gotcha. So we do a baptism on the beach, and of course in Hawaii there's a lot of life on the beach, a lot of, you know, passers-by and the crowd's always there, and, you know, because it's Hawaii. Um, and we have this one favorite beach where we do it. Uh, and uh, I don't know how many people uh, we were baptizing that day. We had like a couple dozen, it was a, it was a good party. Those were always fun, right? And we do a lot of street outreach in Honolulu. We have a social justice ministry, do a lot of ministry uh, in the realm of uh, human trafficking and sex trafficking because it's a big problem in our city. Um, and uh, so our workers have gotten known among the population of sex workers in the city. And some of our workers had gotten to know uh, this one lady who had been uh, working in the sex industry for at that time 35 years 
and she wasn't just sort of active in selling herself, but she was a, what we call a mama-san. She was running some other girls, you know, sort of a, a captain of industry in a way, and, uh, and she'd been doing that forever. She was a well-known figure, but she had, you know, encountered some of our workers and, you know, as you would expect, sort of attracted to the life and the light uh, in, in the people and the Christians that she were, was meeting on the street. And so somehow she circulated by our baptism service, and she was just kind of watching it. Her name was Mary. And uh, right before I step in the water to start dunking, she walks up to me and says, you're the pastor. That's right. Um, I want to get baptized today. I said, fantastic. Uh, I want to baptize you today. Uh, We should do it. He said, no, no, no. I need to explain something to you, pastor. I want you to know I, I, I want this. I want to be baptized. I, I, I want to, to be near God. But right after you baptize me, I'm going to go back out onto the street tonight, and I'm going to go to work. You know what kind of work I do, Pastor. I know what kind of work you do. I just want you to know that. I'm going to go back out there, and I'm going to work, because that's what I do. And that's all I've ever done. Just want you to know, will you still baptize me? What would you have said? Here's what I said. I, I, I think it was pretty good. <laughs> I said, all right, I know that. Here's what I want you to know. I'm going to baptize you today, and the Holy Spirit is going to get involved in your life. And just so you know, that might change you. That's what I said. That's pretty good. I, I thought it was pretty good. So she said, well, okay, deal. And so I baptized her that day, and, and she went out to work. But as you would suspect, she just became increasingly dissatisfied with the situation. Uh, she took a job eventually at this social justice restaurant that we were running. Uh, we were employing some of the people that we sprung from sex trafficking in the sex worker field. And she became the hostess there, and she became quite famous. Uh, the restaurant kind of got some press. And uh, long story short, she ended up being featured in a big photo on the front page of a national newspaper. People told her story of this 35-year-long career turned hostess at a Christian restaurant. And uh, Miracle Mary, we call her. She's doing great. What word would you use to describe that story? Amazing. Amazing? Scandalous. Scandalous. I like that word. (laughs) Scandalous. Uh, I'm going to go with the word inappropriate. It was right up there on the screen, people, and you missed it. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, You're doing a sermon series on courage, and uh, one of the best sermons I've heard in the past several years was preached by my son when he was about nine years old. Uh, We were talking about faith one day at church, and uh, and at dinner that night, uh, he stopped and and, uh, said, I've been thinking about it, and I think that faith is close to brave. I thought, that's a great sermon. Faith is close to brave. Faith, faith is courage, right? And he had put it together. Uh, one of the things I think that means, if you're going to have courage in your life, if you're going to have godly courage, is you're going to have to try things, right? Does this still work? Try. Uh, I think that faith is spelled T-R-Y. We've been talking about that a lot. Those of you who are at the conference, if you are a person of faith, you try things. Not trying, never faith. Never faith. There are a lot of excuses that we have in life to not try things that we feel like we should try. One of the excuses uh, we 
fabricate is that, well, I'm not gonna try this because it seems, wait for it, inappropriate for whatever reason. But the great champions of faith, the champions of courage, are always willing to try things because they are good. Inappropriate does not figure into their equation. They can come up to you at a baptism service and say, that looks good, I will try it. But it's inappropriate for me to baptize you if you're telling me you're gonna go sell your body in a few hours. Don't care, dunk me, right? I just, wanna, I just wanna try. And a lot of the really great stories of courage in scripture have to do exactly with that. And here's one of them. It's the story of uh, a woman who was healed of 12 years of bleeding. She was hemorrhaging. Do you guys know this story? Have you read it before? This woman who was suffering greatly and she heard about Jesus and she decided that um, maybe he could help her. Um, so a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Um, Just appreciate how terrible that story must have been. Um, Suffering, bankrupt, (laughs) um, and no one can help her. When she heard about Jesus... Just remember that phrase. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. It's just a really interesting healing model. I'm gonna sneak up behind the guy and I'm gonna touch him and that's gonna take care of everything. He's in, a, he's in a big crowd on this day. Um, he's gotten quite renowned. He's on his way somewhere actually to heal somebody else. She sneaks up behind him. Uh, she thinks that's gonna work. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, hey, who touched my clothes? Uh, You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Come on, it's it's huge crowd, somebody bumped into you, get over it, move on. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she knows she's been healed, she felt some power herself, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. I'm going to substitute a word there. Your courage has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And just so you know, my read on the story, he didn't say like, go in peace, be freed of your suffering. Your faith has healed you. I think it's like, that was faith. Yeah. (laughs) That's how my Bible reads. My Bible, way more interesting than your Bible said, just go in peace, relax, don't worry about anything, no worries, that's awesome, that's awesome. Everybody check this out, that's awesome, that exactly, that's exactly uh, what I'm looking for. Uh, One of the things that uh, just blows me away about this story and about this woman in particular is how completely inappropriate uh, she was. Um, I don't know if you know about the context that she was in but a woman who was, who was bleeding, who was in a monthly bleeding, was considered 
uh, ceremonially and socially unclean. Like she wasn't even allowed to go out of the house. She couldn't be around other people. If she were around other people, then those people would be considered ceremonially and socially unclean. She couldn't go to church, couldn't go to temple, couldn't go to synagogue, couldn't be in polite society. So this woman was bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years, she basically couldn't be around other people. For 12 years, she could not partake in society, completely alienated, completely shut off, right? And this is a very religious society that she was living in, so she would be considered ceremonially unclean, not fit for spiritual activity, sort of spiritually inferior, cursed by God. So there were some laws about this. There were some severe customs. For her to go out into society would have been frowned upon, but that doesn't say enough. Technically speaking, she could have been killed for doing it, severely penalized because she was polluting the people around her. She was risking her life to go outside, but she does it anyway. Not only that, she goes outside, she enters into a crowd where she was rubbing elbows and bumping against other people, and anybody she touched would have been considered contaminated. So she was doing the worst possible behavior that she could do. Not only that, but in the crowd, she sneaks up behind Jesus and touches a man. Women did not touch men in that society and certainly did not touch men in public because it would have been a contaminating and, and akin to sexual assault. It's just been a, a, a boundary cross that should not be crossed in that society. Women were not even allowed to, to go outside without head coverings and, you know, very, very strict. Not only that, but the man that she touched was a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man, you know, and pastors are very pure. <laughs> and so that would have been just desecration, right? She did everything wrong that you could imagine. And at the end of the story, when it says, you know, Jesus sort of, implicitly calls her out, what's going on, who did that? And she comes and falls at his feet, trembling in fear, because she half expects, maybe fully expects, that she's going to be killed for what happens. The rabbi is going to call her out and condemn her for her obvious transgressions. You get the mood, you get the fix? She did it anyway. And all we know about this woman is that she heard about Jesus. That's the only phrase we're given that tells us anything about her conditioning, right? There were, there's no media. She didn't catch a TV report. She didn't read a Facebook post or something like that. She just heard some sort of rumor about Jesus somehow, and it caused her to do this incredibly inappropriate, aggressive, risky behavior. So the obvious question is, what did she hear? What do you think she heard about Jesus? What did she hear about this guy? He could heal. Obviously, there was something about healing. What else? He had compassion. All true. She must have heard that he was completely inappropriate. Must have. It's like, here's a rabbi doing miracles, doing them in the wrong way. Let's be something that does not quite compute uh, about this fellow. And she figured that was her kind of guy. Uh, if this guy represents God... Right? If, if he's inappropriate, if he's a little bit whacked, I don't know what your word would be, but, um, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this because uh, I need my, my life to be saved. What do you think about that? That's just savagely inappropriate. 
Courage is the right word for her sort of faith uh, because it was an inappropriate sort of faith. You need, you need bravery to have faith that is different like that. You know, she didn't have faith like, you know, religious faith. She didn't have faith like the other people were having. She didn't have affirmed faith, normal faith, faith that everybody agreed upon. She had inappropriate, wild faith, and that takes courage. That takes courage to defy expectation, to break the rules, to do something you weren't trained to do, to be a different person, to, to uh, invite judgment and condemnation. That's courage. That sort of thing gets me super excited. I think the best sort of faith is often the inappropriate sort of faith. And this story shows it completely. And Jesus just flips out. That is faith. That's the sort of faith that gets you a miracle right there. You know, I didn't heal you. Your faith triggered that. Frankly, I didn't even know you were there. You kind of scared me. You snuck up behind me. You touched me. It wasn't my thing. That was all you, baby. That was all you. And that was inappropriate and fantastic. And I think that's a, that's a great Jesus moment right there. It tells you a lot about him. It's like it tells you uh, a lot uh, about, about her. You heard the word grace before? Grace, it's kind of a Christian thing, grace. I think it's the most foreign concept in the world. Uh, what, what is grace? You ever try to define it? Uh, I usually say that grace is the radical generosity of God. It's when God is more generous than he has any right to be. You know, God probably has a right to do anything, but you get my point, right? It's like more generous than a reasonable person would expect. Uh, and the world doesn't understand grace uh, because the world doesn't expect generosity. In the world, you kind of get what you deserve. You earn your way or, you know, it's all about who owes what to whom and where the lines are and stuff like that. So the world has trouble. And I think the Christians have even more trouble understanding grace oftentimes because the thing about grace is it seems as if it should be offensive to God. If you presume that God is generous, it might lead you to do things that God doesn't like. I think about my story of Miracle Mary, the prostitute that walks up to me at a baptism service and said, I want to be dunked, but I'm going to go uh, sell sex later. What do you think? It's like, well, it seems like that might be offensive to God for you to do that. And because you're offensive... I don't think I want to baptize you right now. I could have made that play. Uh, and I think a lot of Christians were supporting me. In fact, I, I, I've told that story about Mary's baptism at different churches, at different conferences, and more than one time I've had people walk out in anger. Because it seems an offense to God. Right? Which just makes me really excited. <laughs> because it means somehow I've done grace right. Somehow I have been, wait for it, inappropriate, inappropriate and courageous. I have invited judgment upon myself. I have invited criticism. I have invited social awkwardness. Yes, I must be in the right place. You know, I might be doing something wrong, but it's gonna be right. That's grace, somehow that's grace, right? It's more art than science. Grace and courage, very, very close cousins. 
seems like it should be an offense to God. Um, but somehow, uh, it's beautiful. This is my favorite story about grace. Uh, we'll end with this story. It's a story that comes from uh, John chapter 8. And it's the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Do you know this story? Have you read it before? Here's an interesting fact about this story. Scholars tell us that originally this story uh, was probably part of the Gospel of Luke because it matches his uh, style of Greek, his writing style. There are very few long stories in the Gospel of John. Um, it doesn't fit there. And it's kind of written in a different style of Greek than the rest of John. So here's what scholars think happened. Scholars think that this story about Jesus forgiving adultery was originally in a Luke, but the early Christians didn't like the story because it seemed inappropriate. It seemed inoffensive to God. And, you know, Luke was written by a Greek guy anyway, so, you know, the Jews could take that part out of the gospel. And, you know, the church was still trying to figure this out. Grace is hard for believers to understand even good ones like us. But eventually they matured and realized, no, this is a really important story. Uh, Luke is too popular. John was the latest written gospel. And so it said, well, we'll take this new gospel named John and we'll stick it back in so that future generations of Christians get the story that we think is important. I tell you that people wrestled with this story, which means I really like it. At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts, he being Jesus, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So he's in Jerusalem, he's teaching in the temple courts, he's at the center of religious life, and he's being a good rabbi, teaching the crowds. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious authorities, the religious experts, brought in a woman caught in adultery. Okay, parenthetical statement. Exactly how does one go about catching a woman in adultery? Awkward, a little weird, but, but they did it. And where's the guy? Takes two to tango, people. Uh, so, obviously, uh, they've got some sort, of, uh, some sort of play that they're making here. Something funky is going on. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of Moses. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? See, the, the really proper religious people thought that Jesus was inappropriate. They thought that he was an offense to God. And they were trying to get him to admit that he was not serious about godly things. That, that he was not an appropriate individual. And so... Somehow, intuitively, they know that he's not going to kill her, which is funny, you know. Uh, he's too kind. We must kill him, you know, is that sort of thing. Uh, what do you say? What do you say about the law? Admit that you're not serious about the law. And they were using this question as a trap, obviously, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. He bends down and doodles in the dirt. It's weird. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was, out, who was without sin throw the first stone. That's kind of a famous, uh, famous line, right? Um, don't throw stones uh, if you have sin. Let any one of you who was without sin throw the first stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote at the ground. He's just doing his own thing there. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, following proper protocol. 
Um, with <clears throat> until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And then, when they were alone, incidentally, inappropriate for a man to be alone with a woman of ill repute, he straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin, which is one of only two places in the gospel where Jesus acknowledges a person's sin. Unless you're talking about the sin of hypocrisy, which he acknowledged in the Pharisees all the time. Love that story. Love it. Um, if you read commentaries on this story, you know, scholarly articles about it, everybody speculates on what Jesus was writing in the dirt. Have you done that? You ever done a Bible study on this? Don't you, don't you talk about what Jesus was writing in the dirt with his finger? Was he drawing pictures? Was he, was he writing down the Ten Commandments so that the Pharisees would know that he knew the law? And was he writing down the Pharisees' sins so that when he saw it, they got shy and walked away? What was he doing there? Okay, here's my theory. Call me crazy. I think if it were important what he was writing in the dirt, the author of the story might have told us. Call me crazy. I don't think what he was writing is the point. I think the point is that he was writing in the dirt. And I don't think the point about that was the writing in the dirt. I think the point is he wasn't looking at the woman. Because this woman was caught in adultery, she would have been uncovered, her head would have been covered, she would have been ashamed, she would have been embarrassed, and they bring the embarrassed woman in front of the crowd, and Jesus is like, well, I'm not going to make you feel more embarrassed. I'm certainly not going to look at you in your shame. Mercy is when God forgives our sins. Grace is when God refuses to even look at them, refuses to even see them looks away so as not to embarrass us. That's the spirit of Jesus right there. That's something else. That's grace. And only Jesus has that. You do not find that in the other, in the other gods. You don't find that in the other faiths. That, that's Christianity right through the middle. It's not gonna look, not gonna look until she's safe, until it's a private moment with just, just the woman and Jesus. And then he's like, okay, now I'll look at you. Hey, honey, where'd they go? I'm not gonna condemn you. You should behave better. You should behave better. Go and be careful because, frankly, they're trying to kill you. You know? Do you think that woman knew that adultery was against the law when she did it? Do you think she's more or less likely to leave her life of adultery after experiencing grace. It's not the law that prevents sin. It's awareness of grace and God's generosity that prevents sin. Isn't that interesting? If you don't know God is generous, if you're not willing to be inappropriate, reckless, courageous, if you're not willing to just try things, even if they're awkward, uncomfortable, they might invite judgment, then it's gonna be hard for you to leave sin. But if you are reckless and inappropriate and generous where sin is concerned, you're more likely to be free from it. Isn't that odd? Isn't that odd? Uh, but I think it's truer than true. I think it's truer than true. Good story? All right.
Two words. First word, try. Wait, I screwed up. You saw it though, right? First word, try. Second word, grace. And I think that somehow those two words combine together to uh, generate great courage in our lives. Right? Faith is, faith is trying things that are good, even if they seem weird to try. And the spirit, the concept that empowers us to do it is the concept of grace, that God is actually uh, freakishly generous, that he does not get hung up on our mistakes, um, our sins, even pretty severe ones, even pretty severe ones ones worthy of, of death, ones worthy of ostracization, of social outcasting. Um, what do you think? Yeah? Can I get a chihu? No. No. Try again. moderately better. <laughs> I'm wondering if, uh, if maybe uh, those words might be important for you this morning. You know, I'm wondering if they're empowering words for you. You know, I wonder if, if you think, I want to be a courageous person. How do I do that? One, just try things of God. Try things that seem good to you. Okay, don't overthink it. Don't accuse yourself. Don't stop. Don't, don't measure. Don't apply the laws and the rules. Just you know, try things. Why? Because God is full of grace and we move in the spirit of grace. It's the hardest thing for Christians to understand, this grace. It is the most alien concept in the world. But maybe it's empowering for you this morning. Maybe it lets you sort of expand a little bit. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and maybe talk to you about some things that you could try. Not some things that you could think about, but some things that you could actually try in your life, a conversation that you need to have with somebody, uh, a prayer that you need to, to offer for someone, um, an action of service, an action of repentance, an action of honesty, something that you need to try that is threatening, uh, that, uh, that risks people thinking you inappropriate, but maybe the Lord wants to speak to you about something like that, and that would be a discipleship moment for you. That would be a kingdom moment for you. That would lead you to an action step, which I love because the kingdom is always full of action and try. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come upon the crowd now and uh, that you yourself would be our shepherd, that you yourself would be our developer, our discipler. I pray that you would speak to these precious people in a spirit of grace, and maybe suggest to them one or two things that they could try this week, some acts of courage. I hope they're inappropriate ones. Uh, Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.